So where have you been sowing and reaping all year, and where, what kind of life are you building? Now, you may not necessarily be prone to asking that question frequently, but I want to ask you to, to pose it to yourself in this little end-of-the-year season. Uh, it's an important question to ask. It's a, it's a question that Scripture constantly poses to us, and, you know, sometimes we don't like to be asked uncomfortable questions. I know sometimes uh, I don't like to put myself in a position where I can get asked those sorts of questions. I, you know, as you get more mature, you try to choose to do that because, you know, it helps you grow. But maybe you're at that point where today you didn't walk in here thinking I was going to have to think about that. But I think it's it, it, not necessarily just at the end of the year, but as a way of life. We're supposed to reflect on our lives and ask How's my life going? Where, more importantly, is my life going? What kind of life am I building? Well, I want to look at a story today where Jesus, in a sense, asks and addresses that question to some people who weren't necessarily uh, expecting that he would pose that question to them. But I think that's one of the questions that God is, is asking you today. And again, maybe you came in here and thought, I, didn't, I don't think that's that important. I, I, I want you to look at this little story in the Gospel of Luke with me because the kind of life that you're building and the kind of options to the kind of lives that are out there and then where those lives take you are important questions to ask and, and get answered. And in a little short story of an interaction between Jesus and, and, a, and a guy in a crowd who just kind of throws a question out at Jesus, the answer that Jesus gives him is just, it's one of the richest stories in the New Testament in, in, in my, from my perspective. So if you'd open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, we're going to look at this story and then try to unpack it and see what it's saying to us. And I'll read it out loud and then we'll uh, pray and then, as I said, unpack it. So, Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, not just to the man, but to everyone who was there in the crowd, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. You know, he's, 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 he's facing a dilemma. What do I do? I don't want to waste all this. This is like a, you know, I've hit the jackpot. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, he's thinking ahead after he does that, what, what's that going to be like? He'll say, you have plenty of good things laid up for you for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. 
So what I want to talk about is how do you build a life that's rich towards God? And the man in the story was a man who, by all accounts, was successful. I mean, there, there's, there's not a culture in the world that would look at him and say, this guy has, has made it. He has more than enough. He's a rich man who just got really rich. And yet Jesus looked at this man and said, this man didn't, wasn't, he was rich in one sense, but he was poor in a more important sense. He was poor in the sense that he had failed to build a life that was rich towards God. So let's, let's pray and let's look at that for a minute. Lord, uh, thank you for uh, your words that are alive and they're powerful and they uh, bring freedom. And we ask, Lord, that you'd help us to open our hearts up to what you might say to us today, no matter how uncomfortable it might be. Because uh, we, we believe, according to your promise, that, that your word will come when it's... When it's received, and it will produce uh, amazing things, good things, life-changing things. And as we hear your word, we pray that it would make us more like you, Jesus. Amen. So Jesus has this little moment where he's in a, in a big crowd, and someone just sort of takes the initiative and says, Jesus, my brother won't divide the family inheritance with me. And I tell him that he needs to give me my part. And so Jesus, now that, you know, this, I don't know culturally if that was like normal or if that was unusual, but Jesus says, listen, I, I know I'm, in a sense, I know I'm a rabbi because teachers and rabbis, and Jesus accepted that title as a rabbi. It was common for them when people, when people invited them into disputes to listen to them and try to give them a fair uh, decision. And, you know, Solomon did that. That was what, what leaders, spiritual leaders and shepherds did. That's what people do. Uh, that's what we sometimes, you know, haven't you ever had somebody call you up and say, you know, I'm trying to figure out what to do. Can you help me and my friend? Uh, that's, that's part of life. We get stuck in these situations and we're trying to figure out what we should do. But this situation was different uh, for a number of reasons. Number one, this guy wasn't asking Jesus for a just decision. He was saying, I want you to side with me and give, get my brother to give me what I want. Now, does that sound familiar at all? How many times have you tried to get someone in a dispute to side with you? Honestly, just think about it. How many times have you told a story about a situation where there's a dispute, and you told the story in a way that shaded it to make you look good. And the other person is an unjust rat. You know, who, who would ever side with them in this? I'm the victim. That's, that's human nature. And this, but this man didn't understand. He thought he was being wronged. And Jesus heard in him and in his voice, because Jesus was very discerning. You know, he was God in the flesh, but, but he didn't always read everyone's mail around him. He didn't just walk through the crowd and go, hey, you, and just start speaking all the truth to him, so to speak. But people who came towards him, seeking to engage him, wanting to know something from God about God, he would listen to them, and then boom, 
God would always get past what was on the surface and go right to their hearts. And so he heard in this man's heart, like he always hears in our heart. See, you know, I say this often here. Whatever, whatever game we play, and however we hide who we really are, it's not hidden from God, ever. Whatever motivates us to hide ourselves, and there's lots of reasons why we hide. It's part of the human condition, unfortunately. God always sees through it. And what, what, you're, what we're surprised by is, is how frank, but how loving God is as, he, as you see Jesus interacting with people and how he relates to them. I mean, he knows the embarrassing things about their lives, but he doesn't embarrass them. But he just tells them the truth in, in a loving way. And so he hears in this man's voice and in his story, and he sees in this man's heart something that was dangerous. And obviously the man didn't see it. Because as I was reflecting on this recently, as I was thinking about what to share, I was going, if I had, and you ask yourself this question, if you had a, a moment with Jesus, and you could only ask him one question, and maybe you were in this man's position, what kind of question would you ask him? What, what, what's a, something that would really make a difference in your life that if you heard something from God that you could completely and utterly trust, what, what kind of question would it be? It's, a, you know, it's an interesting thing to ponder. We can do that. If we're honest, God, if, if we want to speak from our hearts, God's always willing to hear. Now, the cool thing was, this guy was speaking from his heart, believe it or not. It's just what he spoke from and what he thought about it was different than what Jesus thought about it. Because Jesus wasn't going to enable this young man or this person. I don't know if he's old or young. Jesus saw something in the man that he saw everybody struggling with. That This really is a universal human struggle. And this is the biggest impediment to us building a life that's rich towards God. He saw something and he first just said it directly. Then he told a story because a lot of times a little story is something that you'll remember. And Jesus' stories are really powerful. I mean, they were really memorable. And they impacted people when they, when they really were open to the message and the point of the stories. Because parables tend to be very simple and straightforward. And if your heart's open to the truth that's contained in the parable... Boom, it can hit you and just cha- transform you. But if your heart's not, you listen to it and think, well, this is boring little stupid story. Gosh, it's like the comic books here. But it's not. It's always something that's profound and life-changing. But the key is, are we open to it? Now, in, at the end of this story, we don't know what happened with this man. But Jesus wasn't just speaking to the man when he replied because he said, listen, I'm not going to get in your business. I, I wasn't, the other person who's in this dispute didn't invite me in. That's what a good mediator does. They want both people to invite him in. Jesus said, that's not my job right now. But here, here's my job, is to be your shepherd and to be your teacher. And so I'm going to give you what you really need. You don't need that share of the family inheritance. What you need is to be warned to be on your guard against greed because there's greed in your heart, brother. 
And he, and he said all kinds of greed. And now, as I was pondering it, I was thinking to myself, all kinds of greed. I mean, isn't greed just about wanting more money? No, greed's about all kinds of things. Greed is out-of-control desire. It's, in, in a sense, a, a, a way to look at it is greed is desire that's turned away from God. And now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to want to have companionship, or it's want, wrong to want to have a desire for food and covering and love and to be understood and all the basic longings of our human heart. But what it is, is it means to fix our desire on something as a substitute for God to a degree that foolishly corrupts us. Because to be human is to desire. Do you understand that? None of us should ever feel guilty about desire. But what are we desiring? Why are we desiring it is always the question that we have to answer. It's never just that you want another baseball bat or different hubcaps than you have on your car. I know these are superficial, simple things, but our desire sometimes tends that way. And sometimes we can even sort of fixate on something that's trivial. You ever notice that? How some little thing can just consume you. If, if you ever struggle with that, don't watch Home Shopping Network, all right? Just right now, go home, program that off of your channel selection because it seems like that's pretty much what they, uh, you know, they market is trivial things. I don't know for sure, but anyway, the the desire part is the thing that, that Jesus is trying to get to. And he's saying, brother, what is it in your heart that is this desire that's so strong that's created division in your family? And, and Jesus spotted something because he saw this friction between two brothers. And the Bible consistently, over and over and over and over. And I'll read you a passage from the book of James. James was uh, one of Jesus' brothers. He learned well from his brother. In James it says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. Isn't that picture of what greed and, and desire that's out of control, that's, that's, that's pulled away from God. That's what desire that's pulled away from God does. It, it, it causes quarrels and fights and divisions and strife. And it, and it separates people. And Jesus spotted it in this guy. There was greed in his heart. And it was greed for what he didn't have. And the, the weird thing about greed is, I don't want to go down a rabbit trail too far here, but greed blinds you to everything you do have. Greed robs you of contentment over what you have in front of you. Because I can't tell you how many times I've had people tell me, I got a lot of stuff, and when I got all this stuff, I sacrificed relationships to get it. And then one day, all the stuff, the, the appeal of it wore out, and I realized what I really wanted was not this stuff. It was companionship and relationship 
and I'd sacrificed and burned so many bridges to get this stuff, that now the hunger of my heart, the real hunger of my heart, was unsatisfied. And I chased after the stuff or the status or whatever. Because greed focuses, like I said, in a lot of different directions. All kinds of greed. And what it does is it robs us of satisfaction of what's right in front of us. That can be a gift of God. That can be completely satisfying if we would stop and recognize what's going on in our hearts. Our hearts are desiring something. We want more and more and more. And we're not satisfied with what we have. And the season we've just been through, I think I could preach this every Sunday. You know, all through fall, every week, and most of us wouldn't hear the whole message every week. We would hear little bits and pieces of it. But we just went through a season which it, it is a, it's a wonderful season where we remember Christ's birth, where we demonstrate our love and, and, and care for one another by exchanging gifts. People give to strangers. People are way more generous in the season than any other time of the year. January is hell. <laughs> people are grumpy. The, the credit card bills come in. You know, nobody, churches, our, our, our offerings just plummet in January. And I wonder, where are all those, the joy of the season? Can, can we just like take half of it that we saw in December and just scoot it into January? And we could, you know, we could just survive on the, the crumbs of that joy. But that's what happens. Isn't it? You ever notice January 1st after New Year's? It's like it just dissipates. And it's because we are feeding on greed. Our greed is being stoked. You need more. And, you know, a couple of months ago I talked about this. And I don't think I've ever given a talk in our church that I've had more people say impacted them than what that one I talked about a few, week, few couple of months ago that talked again about greed and money and, and contentment. And a lot of people said that it actually, they took it to heart and it really changed the way that they, they've been thinking about their life and their finances. But I heard an interesting, uh, there, there's a famous entertainer who was like this young man. And uh, he just finished a, very popular entertainer. He just finished a, a, a concert tour, and on the last night, he, he's kind of known for, for, for spouting off and for saying controversial things. And on the last night of the tour, in the middle of the concert, he just started uh, kind of ranting about some of his sponsors and some of his business partners. And he's a very successful, you know, entertainer. And then he says at the end, I'm finished ranting. I'm not going to say anything negative about anybody anymore. And I'm thinking, okay, right. This is what you're known for, bro. You're, 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 you're in the middle of your last concert in this tour, and you take about 15 minutes to rip into all these people who you're partners with. And then at the end of it, this is an ironic thing. At the end of it, he says, I, and he was upset because he felt like he was getting sort of uh, taken advantage of by his, his business partners. And so he's talking about how he's going to go into business with some new people. And then he says, now this guy is, this is a guy that is phenomenally rich. I mean, all of us in this room and five generations of children could put all of our kids through Ivy League schools with about 1% of what this guy has. But what he says after talking about how, you know, he needs to get out of, these people are taking advantage of, and he's going to go work with these people, he goes, 
because I just got to take care of my family, man. <laughs> Thinking, now, do you see? Is it wrong to take care of your family? But was any of that about taking care of your family? When you have more money than you'll ever need in a hundred lifetimes, a thousand lifetimes, this guy is hundreds of millionaire. And he's a young guy. He's going to make a lot more money the rest of his life. But see, we don't realize when you have a lot and, and you can still be greedy, you have more than you could ever spend, really? And you could still be greedy? Yes. Because desire is something that's in everyone's heart. You will never escape desire. Don't listen to what, whatever form of Buddhism you've heard in the West teaches you. You can't get rid of desire. You were created with desire. Desire is a good thing. You just have to direct it in the right direction. Don't try to suppress desire. Focus it on the right object, not objects at the right time, in the right place. And so Jesus challenges this guy, and he tells him this little story. Now, ironically, what he gets into, the, the parable talks about money and possessions. And so as you read this, you're going to think, gosh, John, because I, I have people say this to me all the time. I brought a friend to church. I've been trying to get him to church for months, years, and then you go and talk about money. And I know when we go out to lunch afterwards, I'm going to hear this. Every time I go to church, they talk about money. Churches are just totally into money. They go, well, you could look at our carpet and know we are not totally into money. Okay? You can look at our building and how we dress and the cars in the parking lot. We are not totally into money. But I will tell you one thing. 25% of what Jesus said was about money and possessions. It was important to him because it's important to us. And if you want to look for the clearest indicator in your life to show you whether you're building a life that's rich towards God, it's look at your money. And again, that's why a lot of times we don't like to hear about this. I, I've said to people before, honestly, and I say this in love, people say that to me, I brought a friend to church, blah, blah, blah. And I go, maybe your friend... Is, try, is hearing from God and God's trying to speak to him about his money. If he keeps going to church and every time he goes, there's a message about money, perhaps that is not a coincidence. Do you ever ponder that? But we don't, see, because we struggle with our money because we struggle with desire. And so Jesus tells this little story. And again, the story was very familiar. There's a rich man, hardworking guy. There's nothing about this man and the way he acquired money and, and, the, and, the, and the money he came into that was bad or immoral. Not a hint. He's a farmer. Farmers are hardworking people. Farmers are the kind of people who know money doesn't grow on trees. It grows in the field, and it takes a lot of hard work. I never lived on a farm. Well, I visited a farm once for a week. I was on, a, I was on a, the biggest hog farm in, in California. And it was big. It was really big. And it smelled worse than I could ever describe to you. But those guys worked, I mean, from the crack of dawn till dark every day. They were out there milking those pigs. No. Just, just kidding. Got the, got the cows and the pigs mixed up there. No. 
But it's hard work. Farming the land is hard work. Money doesn't just fall in your lap. If you make money farming, you make money over time. And you've worked really hard. This guy was a hardworking dude. But he had prepared his, his soil, planted seed, and he expected a certain kind of crop because you get used to what the land can produce. But it produced way more than he ever dreamed it could. And so he stopped and said, and Jesus tells a story, that this rich man says, what am I going to do? And my land has produced way more crops than I ever thought it could. What am I going to do with my stuff now? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger barns, put everything in there. And then I'm going to have, like, I'm going to have it easy for the rest of my life. Now, there isn't too many people who heard what Jesus said who wouldn't have thought, this guy is sharp. He's already rich. And, and to the average Jewish person, they thought that meant God blessed you. If good things are in your life, it's because God blessed you. And so you must be a good person. And it, it's a very popular misconception that if, if someone's having hard times in their life, it's because, you know, God's not happy with them. And if someone's having good times in their life, it's because they're a good person. That's not true at all. The Bible is full, like this story, of these bubble-bursting stories that, that try to disabuse us of these crazy notions that, that bad things only happen to bad people and good things only happen to good people. When you're good, you get more good. When you're bad, you get more bad. There is some truth to that, but a lot of bad things happen to good people and a lot of good things happen to bad people. Because God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. And you may not think that's fair, but God is merciful. He's kind. He's not like us. And so, like the other day, I had a friend who'd been through an adultery and a divorce. And another friend he knew who had been particularly, not just hard on him, but very judgmental towards him about, you know, his misconduct, his immoral behavior. This friend who refused after this man went through this series of, you know, poor choices to have anything to do with him anymore. And then about two years later, that guy committed adultery. And the only reason he stayed married is because his wife didn't want to divorce him. And he came two or three years after that and looked up friend number one and said, I really judged you. Harshly, more harshly than I should have. And I want to apologize because, you know, I saw what it was like in your shoes. And I, and, and I wanted God's mercy and I didn't give it to you when I could have given it to you. And I, and I treated you in a harsh way that God didn't, now I've discovered God doesn't treat me. Now God's serious about both those, those sins of adultery and, and divorce, but it doesn't mean that God won't be merciful to us and that we're not supposed to show mercy to one another. Well, you know, this man was not a bad guy in, in, in the sense of the, his business at all. And it seems sensible, right, to build a bigger barn. What else would you do with it? That was what he was thinking. What else would I do with this? And that was the problem because what Jesus was exposing in this man in the crowd and people in the crowd, he was saying, we tend to think this is all okay, this story. What's wrong with this guy in the story? 
he seems like a wise man. Is, and, and Jesus wasn't in any way saying you shouldn't plan. Because you can't read the book of Proverbs and not see that God's into planning. And it wasn't about planning and being responsible, financially responsible and orderly. It was about desire. And it was about something deeper in his heart. That's a challenging thing to, to, to reflect on individually. And usually you get this kind of questioning in these kinds of settings where God's word, and, and in the book of Hebrews, it says that God's word is like a sword. It's a sword that's sharp on two sides. And that as you swing it, it just cuts into the, the deepest part of our heart. and It lays everything open. If you've ever seen a, a bad cut before and how it, it goes down below the skin, I'm, I don't want to creep too many people out here, some of you already, but you can see what's right beneath the epidermis when you get a knife. And a lot of times the word of God, the, our lives are, are not open, like I said. We hide them. And then God's truth comes along and opens them up. And he doesn't do it to hurt us, he does it to heal us. And he was opening up not only the young man who asked a question, but the whole crowd, everyone around him, because he said all kinds of greed. And you could take this story and you can put this story into your life and apply it to where, where is your greed? Where is your out-of-control desire? This man, when God looked at him, what appeared to be wise was in fact foolish. And, and the word fool to us just sort of is like a, a word we throw around loosely but in the Bible, the, the, the Jewish people have been trained to understand that foolishness was culpable blindness that leads to disastrous consequences. In other words, you choose to be blind to some moral truth, and it leads you to disaster. And so a fool is not someone, someone who's just untutored or uneducated or ignorant. They're a person who's willfully ignorant. They know the truth, but they proceed ahead instead, and there's, it's just disastrous for them. So he says that about the man, because the next thing that Jesus says is, in this hypothetical story, because the parable is always hypothetical, it's always, it's always a fiction, but it, it always carries the truth in it. It describes reality in a fictional story. He says that God says to that man, you fool. Ironically, you're going to lose everything that you've, you've tried to hold on to. Everything that you thought you could keep, you're going to lose it now. You don't even know who you're going to lose it to. He could have had some kids who were really a mess and who would just squander everything he did. Because that's the one weird thing about people who, who live like this is... They're real particular and, and careful, and they, you know, they make a penny scream. But their kids can waste more money in a week than they can make in five years. And suddenly, everything he's hoped that he could have and hold on to is gone. Because God says, boom, it's time for you to face me. It's time for you to give an account for what you did with all that. And that's one of the stories of, uh, in the parables that's repeated over and over and over is not only is there an accounting at the end of our lives, as well stand before God, but there are dress rehearsal moments all through our life where what we've sowed 
we begin to reap. And it's just a, a little temporary moment where we get a taste of something so that it, God in his mercy says, do you see what you've been doing and do you see you're, you're getting a bad outcome? Don't keep doing that or you keep getting that outcome. And so he's trying to, to awaken these people mercifully and say, wake up, you guys. Wake up from whatever is bedeviled you. However, this is one of the things that, that our desires do is they blind us. They blind us. And the truth, we have to hear the truth to awaken us and to open our eyes so we can see the way things are and the way things should be and the way things could be. Because God never says, like in this story, I've mentioned to you one of the patterns of the stories in Scripture are it will describe something and then it will say, but God. So it will describe some disastrous situation and then it will say, but God came in and did this. You can see the same thing here. The man builds the big barns, fills them up, but God said, you fool. And so I know it's, it's a hard word for you to hear, but this man didn't look foolish. You may look at your life right now and think, if, I, if you asked me before you started describing this story, John, and telling this, giving us this message, I would have said, no one should ever call me a fool. I've got money in the bank. I've got this going and that going. Some of you are going, my, my life is a financial nightmare. This is my story. I've taken what I've gotten, and I haven't built bigger barns for myself. I've taken what I've gotten, I've gotten in debt, and I, feel I built bigger barns for everybody else. I built a bigger barn for Chase and Huntington, right? And credit card companies and, you know, the, the, the check cashing store and all those other people. They're, they've got big barns. I live in a little shed. And it, I'm in debt up to my ears. You may immediately think that's what this kind of story talks about. Jesus chooses his subjects and his stories carefully. Because of the pride of our hearts, a lot of times we look at other people and think, yeah, I'm not in all the financial mess they're in. Thank God, you know. That sound like one of those parables where one of the men stood before Jesus and said, thank you, I'm not like that person. You may be sitting here right now and thinking, yeah, we're doing okay. We pay our bills. We're in a little debt. Maybe, well, we're maybe in a lot of debt. But, you know, we can make it. And the, the weird, now this is, this is the juxtaposition of this that Jesus does to get attention is, get our attention is, what this man had is he had all this, but then at the end of his life, because he hadn't built a life rich towards God, he lost everything. And the way you can tell that you're on the road to lose everything is you can be gaining everything, but be thinking like him, or you could just be in debt and you're losing everything slowly but surely. Because the, the thing about debt is, all things being equal, your interest is going to catch up. Interest on loans and things is going to keep catching up, and you're going to go into bankruptcy, and you're going to lose everything. And it will be a temporary thing. Because in this life, thank God that you know, bankruptcy is short term. But if you keep making the same choices, you get yourself back into it. And the track you're on is the lose everything track. 
Now, this parable doesn't seem to have one of those happy endings, but this is the good thing about Jesus. And Because I, I, I asked myself as I was reading this, where's the gospel in this? Where's the good news? This is like bad news. This is like 2007, the fall of 2007, right? You guys remember all that? 2007, 2008, the recession, the banks, the, you know, everybody's losing jobs right and left. And uh, it's just, it was crazy. It was bad news. There wasn't much happy about the end of 2007, 2008. But in this story, the cool thing is, now listen, who's telling this parable? The, the one who lived the exactly perfect opposite life of the man in the story. Jesus was the rich man. He's always the rich man. But what the Bible tells us about Jesus is different. Now, I'm going I'm to insert Jesus into these points so you can see where the hope is in this. Jesus says in this lesson that we can either, at the end of the lesson, he says, uh, this is how it will be with anyone. And again, when, when Jesus says anyone, he isn't leaving anybody out. No matter how good you think you are doing with your money, he's saying, pay attention to this. You will end up like this man if you don't mark my words. And he says, there's only two options. You can live, you can build a life that's turned in on yourself, like this rich man did, or you can live a life that's rich towards God. Jesus gave us two options there. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Now, those aren't mutually exclusive. Being rich towards God means you will be provided for too. Do you understand? God never... God is always interested in us and our concerns and our family and our needs. And even for us to have more than we need. That's not the point. But Jesus says, if you build a life and you turn it in on yourselves, you're going to lose everything. But if you build a life where you're rich towards God, you will end up with more than you can possibly dream of. You will end up with more than you can possibly dream of. And so Jesus says, in a sense, his lesson here is that if you build a a life that's rich towards God, it's going to include using your money and your possessions wisely. And in this little story, there's three points that Jesus made about this man's life. Where, and he gave a contrast, if, if for anyone that could see it, between himself and this man. Because this parable draws a contrast between Jesus and this man. Jesus is the rich man who didn't go down this road. He, was, he showed us how to live a life rich towards God. But this man didn't. And so the, a person who wants to build a life that's rich towards God, has to refuse to regard their possessions as their own. If, if you regard your possessions as your own, you're ignoring the fact that God gave them to you and they're ultimately His. Do you understand that? And if you read this parable, I think 12 times in the parable, in one way or another, the man says, me, my, I, me, my stuff, my goods, my barns, 
my crops, my riches. And he just consults with himself. You don't get any reference of him consulting with God's wisdom. And so Jesus, it says in Philippians 2, we're supposed to have the same mindset as Jesus, who's telling this parable to the man, about this man, who being in very nature God, Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And that verse goes on to say, and he became, he humbled himself to became to become obedient, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's a picture of Jesus being willing to empty himself over and over and over and over and over as a model for this is the way to find life. And it says, God exalted him. And so it's a picture. This man was blessed and blessed and blessed, but he wasn't willing to humble himself. He wasn't willing to be generous. He wasn't willing to own that God owned everything. And in the end, it was reversed. He lost everything, whereas Jesus was exalted. And Jesus was standing in front of him and, and, and modeling it and saying, this is how you're supposed to live. This is the God that you believe in, Hebrews, is showing you in me how to live. And that's why many times Jesus' teaching just amazed everyone. And secondly, the, a person who builds a rich life towards God refuses to hoard possessions. This man hoarded, not in the sense that we tend to hear today. You know, most of the idea of hoarding today, as it's used in our, in our general parlance, is about people who obsessively buy 30 toothbrushes and 50 tubes of toothpaste and 400 containers of floss. And, of course, they have dentures. <laughs> and the point being, they, because of a mental illness, they're hoarding things that they couldn't possibly ever use. And it's obsessive. That's no different than hoarding. It's no different than, than just having more, getting a raise, and just saying, I need more of that. More and more and more. When that's your first instinct, because you believe a lie. And Jesus, it says, Paul was, was encouraging the Corinthians to be generous to some people, some believers who are in need in another part of the world, because the churches all over the world that had been started by the Jewish apostles, all the, those Jews who were the first followers of Jesus, who had sacrificially given and served and loved and given their best people to go into the world and tell everyone about the Savior who came from the Jews, Paul was saying, you guys, let's help them. They're going through a famine. They're starving. And he appealed to them based on this verse. He said, for you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And again, it's that picture. If, if we hold on to our life, we lose it. But if we lose our life, we find it. That's, that is the upside-down kingdom. This world says if you hold on to everything, you won't lose it. 
But Jesus said, if you hoard, you will lose what you have. At some point, just like I've, I've helped people who are hoarders move before, it's not a pleasant task. I'm not saying that, trying to be humorous. It is not a pleasant task. And what ends up happening every time it's happened is they lose most, a lot of the stuff that, that they have. Because they, there's no way they can move into the next place they're going to with all that stuff. And it's just a principle. And you may not like to hear it, but if you're hoarding, you're going to lose a lot of what you have before you stand before God. And it's not because God doesn't want you to have anything extra. Why? Like the, I would have asked that entertainer if I was a friend of his. If he had a friend that cared about him, he would have heard that friend say, Dude, you're really stuck in a cycle of greed, man. You have more money than you'll ever need. Why are you like in these conflicts with the people that you're in business with? You're making more money than Solomon, and you're not happy with that. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't times where in, in business partnerships it can become uneven and, and you know, wrong. But you can always tell when greed is controlling us, there's friction and strife. You, you see? It's, it, it, it's, you can spot it. In a household where, where desire that's pulled away from God, there will be more strife than there should be. There's always some strife. Wherever two people are, there's three arguments. But I'm talking about more strife. Is that going on in your life? Is that something you're struggling with? Jesus said about this man, he warned the the man in the crowd, he said, be on your guard against greed because your life doesn't consist of your possessions. In other words, the measure of your life is not the stuff that you have. It's not. Don't regard, that's the third pillar of a, of a life that's rich towards God, is you don't regard, you refuse to regard your possessions as the measure of your life. That you go, there's things that are more important. But do you really believe that? I think a lot of you don't. Look at the way you spend your money. If you believe that your possessions are not the measure of your life, you wouldn't spend your money the way you're spending it. And I'm not saying you can never, please don't, when, when this kind of conversation has to be had, I don't, want it to, I don't want to talk down to you. I bought a new cell phone last year. You can buy a new cell phone. Yeah, can you believe that? <laughs> but it was, you know, it was, it was a couple of generations below the one, the newest one, but my old cell phone actually just died. And I will drive my car and my cell phone as long as they will go. And I wasn't raised that way. I had to learn that way the hard way. I have a, a colleague who, when he was in high school and he got, went to college, he got a credit card in the mail. And he'd never had a credit card before. He went out and he, in two hours, he maxed the credit card out on stereo equipment for his car. And the next morning he got up and all the equipment had been taken out of the car. That was a rude lesson. 
hard. What was harder was, you guessed it, 28 days later when the billing statement came in the mail. And he had to pay for all that equipment that had been stolen. That he really didn't need. You know, the the 300 CD changer that that completely fills your trunk is probably a little overdone, wouldn't you say? You know, you don't have to change it for the rest of your life. But we do that. And you make fun of hoarders. And you're no different. It's true. Jesus was saying that about this man. It's uncomfortable to think that way about ourselves. But we do that. I I was just about to to make a funny, I know it would be funny, it would get a cheap laugh. I'm so tempted to to use this illustration, but I I can't think of a good illustration about men, so I'm not going to use it. Did you guys get that at all? That was a, just right over the head. Jesus refused to let his life be defined by his possessions. You, you could see it all through his life. Once he stood before the devil, and the devil looked, showed him everything in the world, all the kingdoms of the world, and he says, I can give you all these kingdoms. And Jesus said, no way. I don't want all that. My life is not measured by what I own. I'm on, a, I'm on a different journey. And I want to know, are you on that journey? That's the question. It's a, it's a hard question, to, like I said early on. It's a question that we don't always pose. And sometimes we don't like it to be posed to us. But Jesus lived this life out. And I don't think there's anybody that looks at the life of Jesus and says, That wasn't amazing. I wish I could be like that. But we can. We can. Jesus blazed this trail already. And he says, if you follow me, I will live inside you. I will empower your heart with with this grace and the ability to direct your desires towards me and my father and be satisfied with things and find the joy in the things that you have. And then... Be blessed as I give you more. Because see how this, the parable in this rich man, you see the generosity of God. This guy was rich and God gave him more. But he gave him more to discover the joy of giving. You see, he was already rich. God was trying to bless him like he's trying to bless many of us. You got year-end bonuses. What did you do with it? Honestly, what did you do with it? Did you just go spend it on yourself? I know families in our church who said, we're going, we made a commitment this year. We're going to exchange gifts, but we're going to give away to other people at least as much as we spend on our family. That's a cool, that's a start towards a life that's rich towards God. Now, rubber meets the road. Hey, Bob, would you come up? We're going to close wherever Bob is. Bob Stiles, thank you. The the grace from God to break 
the hold of desire in our lives isn't found by trying harder. You may have heard me lay out this argument that God wants us to build a life that's rich towards him and that we do it by managing money wisely. You may think, I just got to try harder. Just got to, you know, today when I go out, I'm just not going to buy as much stuff or I won't buy anything. I'll stay away from the mall. You are drawn to the mall like a moth to a flame. You're drawn to the internet. You're drawn to whatever your desire goes towards. Our need is far more radical than that. And what we have to do is we have to first turn our lives over to Jesus and then we have to turn our possessions over to him. And then we need a plan and a process. You have to have a plan and a process to walk this out. Because I, I can't tell you how many sincere prayers I've prayed after teachings like this and I haven't had a plan or a process and so I've just gone back to the same old way. And it didn't have anything to do with the sincerity of my heart. You can't do this alone. You can't manage your, your desire. Managing your money is about managing your desires. And to manage your desires, you need a plan and a process. And I know you saw, this is, this is the end of this. This is an infomercial for Financial Peace University. You didn't know that. You, you came here and you didn't know you were hearing from Dave Ramsey. This is what he really looks like in real life. The actor on TV and radio is not the real Dave Ramsey. I've been here all this time. I want to encourage you. You may sit here and think, listen, John, I don't have the time for nine weeks of classes. You cannot have... have, hidden behind a dumber excuse than that to say you don't have an hour and a half to spend on something that will utterly change your life. It would be a huge mistake. Some people say, I don't have the $99, $89, whatever it is. Every time we look on their website, it's a different price. But it's around $100. And you go, $100? (laughs) There's no way I'm going to spend $100 on this. Well, what are you going to spend it on then? What kind of crazy thing that you're, you don't need are you going to spend it on? Spend $100 on a class like this. We don't get it. We're not making any money off this at all. You have to sign online at DaveRamsey.com backslash home backslash FPU to be able to participate in the class here. And frankly, I, uh, since we only have three people who are registered, I, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, Everybody, thank you, Jesus. Everybody in our church has all their money in, in perfect order and they're doing the right thing. No, that's not true at all. You guys are the rich man in this story. And you're the hoarder in this story. And the Lord's just saying to you, I want to rescue you from that. And you need to take $100 and invest it in this and invest the nine weeks into it. The, the truth is, the reason why a lot of us don't want to participate in something like this is it's too embarrassing to admit we struggle with our money. There would anybody I've talked to that I've kind of pressed in on this, because in the last couple of weeks, I've actually person to person talked to multiple people and said, you need to do this. You need to do this. I know your story. And your finances are a mess. And they're not getting any better. It's bringing all kinds of stress into your life. Do something about it. 
And what people will say is, I don't want people to know how messed up my money is when I just get right down to it. Nobody is going to ask you to tell us that. Do you understand? You go to this class, they don't ask you to open your checkbook up and show us. They don't ask you for those financial details. You don't have to divulge that. But you do have to say, I'm working on these things. I'm doing the assignments. Here's where I'm struggling. You don't, you, everybody who comes to this class is struggling. Everybody in this church should be in this class, as far as I know. Well, actually, there's a couple of couples that have been through it who are working it, and, and it's amazingly transformative, as they tell me. So I don't know how you want to live your life, but you have two choices. You can live your life largely the way that our culture does, which is we turn our lives in on ourselves, and then we lose everything. We get further and further into debt, or we hoard, and we get more and more stuff, but at the end, we're going to lose it all. Or we can go the way that Jesus showed us, is if we choose a life that's rich towards God, where we handle money wisely, faithfully, we end up with a life that's beyond our wildest dreams. Not that we're all rich, but that we all have what we need and we've learned the joy of generosity and we have peace of mind because we're not living under the stress of constant debt pressure. And we're not full of strife because our desires are creating all the strife in our lives. If that's your story, you have to have a plan and you have to have a process. And I just ask you to consider seriously coming to the Financial Peace University class that's starting in a few weeks. And I hope that you, you take that to heart. Now, the way I want to ask you to respond, just between you and the Lord. This is like, no, we're not going to do the all heads bowed, eyes closed kind of thing. Because you need grace in your life right now. When you hear this kind of message, it's painful. You're not going to be able to go away with this and not think about this. God wants to give you grace to begin to change. Now, you may not be able to come to Financial Peace University. There's people here who have already told me, because of work schedule and other commitments, I can't do it. Okay, that's cool. There's other churches that have this class. You can go on Financial Peace University website and find other churches around. I'm happy for you to go to those churches. But you need to start by humbling yourself before the Lord today and say, God, I'm either the rich man who has way more than I need and I'm just using it all for me or I'm a person who should be rich but I'm so in debt, I'm stressed out or somewhere in between. But you identify in some way with what's here. What I want to do is I want you just to stand with me. I'm standing. I'm going to go to the class. I'm not a lot of debt but I want to get my finances in order more than they are. I want you to stand if this is a struggle that you have in your life. If it's a struggle that's been in your family's life and the way you were raised has contributed to this lifelong struggle you've had, I just want you to stand. And we're going to sing this song that we sang, uh, we sang 